It's my joy and privilege to be able to share the word of the Lord with you today. Pastor Daniel will be back on Good Friday and for Easter Sunday. We look forward to that. Uh, we've missed him and we trust that God has given him a great rest and uh, as we continue on with the things of God. Today is called Palm Sunday. And uh, that's why we have palms available for you as well as the communion elements. And we trust that you take that. Some people try to make them in a cross. I haven't learned how to do that yet. But uh, it's a great way to kind of prolong the day for what God has done. So a triumphal entry. I just about put the triumphal entry on as a, the, and a question mark after that. Because was it really a triumphal entry? I know when we think about that, I remember as a small boy going to church on Sunday morning and uh, this kind of a morning where the palms were out and everybody was rejoicing and things were happening that were exciting that uh, Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. What an amazing thing that is. And uh, it is a wonderful thing. But as we go along in the message today, maybe you'll say maybe things don't look as positive as they should. Well, anyway, I've got a map up there for you if we go on a couple of them. There is Bethany over on the right-hand side. And uh, uh, as you go toward Jerusalem, only a couple of miles from where they were, that's where uh, his friends lived, Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Uh, and they stayed there. In fact, when he took this trip into Jerusalem, went into the temple, uh, it says that he did maybe a couple of things, and then he went back to Bethany, and then later on came back again. So that's just the, the traveling that they did. They didn't have cars, they walked, and uh, he rode a donkey. And so we have this Palm Sunday of a celebration. Uh, let me just say that Jesus knows absolutely everything. Let me read the scripture and then we'll go into this. It says in verse number 28 of Luke chapter 19, after he had said these things, he's teaching before that, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When they approached Bethpage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, go into the village ahead of you and enter you will find a colt uh, tied on, on which no one has yet ever set. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had been, as they had been told, as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said the Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. He was, as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began praising God joyfully with a loud voice for all of the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these became silent, the very stones would cry out. Wouldn't you like to hear stones crying out? Who he was? I, I just think that's amazing. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they had been hidden from your eyes. 
for the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Those last verses are kind of the judgment that he was talking about and when I read those I I said this is a triumphal entry, it's a great parade but I'm not sure it ended up really great. It certainly didn't end up that way for Jesus. But let me just say, first of all, that Jesus knows everything. When he sent these two disciples into uh, the next town, probably Bethpage, to find this colt that he was gonna ride on that day, uh, some think, well, he had gone that way many times, so he saw the colt there, and he saw the the donkey, the mother, uh, with that colt, and so maybe even talked to the people that owned the colt saying, one day I'm gonna send a couple of disciples because I need that colt. Would you allow them to take that? Now maybe that happened or maybe it didn't. Maybe this is just the insight that Jesus had as he commanded his disciples to go and do these things. I don't know, but there are other situations that I know that he couldn't have known about uh, because one time he called his disciple and he said, we need to pay our taxes, anybody? do that lately Uh, we pay our taxes this time of the year well they needed to pay their taxes and the disciples had no money so he sent them to the water and cast out your your line and you're going to catch a fish when you catch the fish open its mouth and there's going to be a coin inside and that'll pay our taxes now he couldn't have known that he knows every situation but he couldn't have known that one day the disciples were out fishing and Jesus comes up to them and he sees them out there in the boat and he says, how you doing today? Did you catch anything? And they said, no, we haven't gotten anything today. He said, well, cast your net on the other side of the, of the boat. And they said, master, we, we, we've done this all night long. We caught nothing. Cast your net on the other side of the boat. Remember the story? They threw their nets on the other side of the boat and they start bringing in the net 54 fish were in the net, so much so that it began to break. Well, how does he know all of these situations? How does he understand? Well, he is man, but he is also God. He knows everything about every situation. He really does. Nothing that he doesn't know. Remember one time where one of the disciples went and got his friend Nathaniel and brought Nathaniel and said, you gotta come and meet this guy, it's gotta be the Messiah. And so when he took Nathaniel to him, uh, even before he got there, Jesus said, ah, Nathaniel, a man in which there is no guile. And Nathaniel says, wait a minute, how did you know me? He said, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. How did he see him under the fig tree? Nathaniel responded and said, you must be the Christ. He knows everything about our every situation. He knows everything about every one of us in this room. There's nothing hidden from him. Remember John chapter four about the woman at the well? He's out there, his disciples go in to get food uh, into Sychar and there's a woman that comes out to the well in midday, which didn't normally happen, but it was probably because of her moral situation. And he's there at the well and he says, could you give me a drink? And the woman says, wait a minute. (laughs) I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jewish person. We're not supposed to have anything to do with one another. He said, well, if you knew who I was, 
you'd ask me for a drink and I would give you living water. She said, living water? I'll take that, yeah, I'll sign up for that. Okay, well go get your husband. Well, I don't have a husband right now. He says, yeah, you said that's true because you've had five husbands and the one you're living with right now is not your husband. She says, oh, you must be a prophet or something. And they go on and have conversation until finally she said, this has got to be the Messiah. And she left her water pot at the, at the well, which she came for, ran into the city and said, come see a man who told me everything that I've ever done. Wow. The men came out. They met Jesus, asked him to stay for two days. Finally, the men go back to the woman and say, we believe not just because of what you said, but now because of what Jesus has said to us. We have faith in him. He is the Messiah. He knows every situation, and especially this situation I think that maybe we would want to stay away from. Jesus doesn't stay away from any of us. It doesn't matter what our background is. It doesn't matter what we've done. He loves us unconditionally, and if we would come and find him and let him find us there would be communication like the woman at the well remember when i was 17 years of age and i'd already messed up my life quite a bit uh, but i was invited to go to this church that was a little different than the methodist church that i normally went with and uh, <clears throat> i heard the gospel for the first time and so i said i I need to go back to that church. If I'm not invited, I'll go back anyway. And I went back the second Sunday and heard the gospel being preached and just something inside of me wanted to respond to this Jesus. And that day I went down. I didn't come to the altar. I went to the, one of the chairs on the front row and I knelt down and the pastor came to me, put his hand on my shoulder and he said, son, have you ever received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I said, I don't think so. Gone to church, but I... And he read the scripture to me. He prayed with me. I prayed. I confessed my sin to him. It took me about 20 minutes to confess my sin because I remembered a lot and I probably left some out. Because uh, I, I did things that just young people shouldn't be doing, but young people do those kind of things. And so I confessed my sin to him and I said, Jesus, if you can come into my life, if you can change me, I welcome you. I need to be saved. And he forgave me that day oh my goodness as though I had never done anything wrong amazing if you haven't had that experience today I I encourage you talk to Jesus he's a loving God he knows every situation already you can't surprise him there's no surprise that you have to offer him he knows your situation he loves you he came and he offered his life as a sacrifice for you, that you might be forgiven. You might be welcomed into his eternal kingdom. Hallelujah, wonderful thing. So Jesus knows our every situation. And if you weren't aware of that, let me just tell you, read the scriptures, read the other things. I mean, every, almost every line, every book has the things in it that says that he knows us intimately before we know him. Well, Jesus is then, he's got this donkey uh, in front of him. They put the coats on him and they put Jesus on it. Said, we're going into Jerusalem. This is going to be a fantastic day. And they go in and they begin to approach the city. And as they do so, they begin to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all of the miracles that they had seen. Now, I want to be kind. And yet, at the same time, miracles are wonderful. We pray for miracles in this church. We believe that God is a God of miracles. But miracles are a problem in the scripture. 
Jesus one time fed 5,000 people with a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish. You know what happened after that miracle? They came to him after that and said, what's for lunch today? I'm not here to feed you lunch every day. <laughs> and he didn't continue that process. When you receive a miracle, there's a tendency to say, I just want to live in the miracle presence of Jesus. I want miracles every day. I don't know anybody that gets miracles every day. Reality is that you're going to go through times of difficulty, times of testing, times of suffering, like we sang this morning. I don't know if you sang that song, but that, that song that they were singing up here, I said, do we understand what we're really singing? Put me in the fire. Burn me as well as you can. Anybody like that song? You sang it. That was one of our worship songs. Put me in the fire. Test me. Do whatever you can in my life. Get all of that stuff out of me. Well, that's what we need to do, and that's probably what life really is mostly about. He does miracles in our life, but he puts us to the test. He brings us to the places where my, I don't know if I can continue on in this. Well, he's always there for you. He's always there to pick you up. No matter what you're going through, he knows your situation and he loves you in the midst of it. So here they're writing in, the miracles are being uh, honored and praised uh, in John chapter 14. Uh, he, he talks to them. Uh, let me just take a moment and turn over to John 14 for a minute. Uh, this is a wonderful scripture anyway. If you haven't read it lately, I encourage you to do so. It says uh, in verse one, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Not the miracles, but believe in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the, very, that the way where I am going. And so Thomas, one of his disciples, said, Wait a minute, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus responded, probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's the focus. It's who Jesus is. Not what he does in our life, but who he is. When Christ comes and fills our life, we can go through any trial, any trouble, any problem, because he's there within us. And he knows what's happening. He knows every situation. So you can relax in him. Well, <laughs> he says, if you had known me, you would have known my father. Also, from whom uh, on, on you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. And he says, have I been so long with you, and yet you don't understand this? And then he goes on and teaches them for two more chapters, all kinds of wonderful things. You want to read it there. In chapter 16, he's still teaching them, and he says this in verse 16. A little while, and you'll no longer see me, and again a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what is this thing that he's saying, a little while we'll see you and a little while you won't? So they were saying, what is this that he says, a little while? Jesus knew that they wished to question him and said to them, are you deliberating together about this that I said a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me? 
Are you actually questioning that? Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. How many have used that for a, a memory verse? Probably not. But he goes on and talks about their grief, and then he gives the promises, and then finally he comes down in verse 28, and he says, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again, and I'm going to the Father. His disciples said, now you're speaking plainly. Thank you. We appreciate that. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. And Jesus said, do you really believe? He questioned. Now they seemed to understand. He said, do you really understand this? He says, behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered. Wait a minute. I thought things turned out better when you know Jesus. No, I'm going to scatter you, each to his own home, and to leave me alone, and yet I am not alone because the Father's with me. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace in the world you have tribulation but take courage I've overcome, overcome the world I don't know when you read the scriptures do questions come to your mind every once in a while I know the disciples weren't the smart, smartest people in the world they didn't have degrees behind their names and I think he has chosen sometimes those that are not quite so equipped mentally <laughs> to reveal himself to but yet he Gives himself to wonderful people that are brilliant. I love listening to some podcasts where people grasp the language in a way that I haven't yet begun to understand it. And I listen to them, I'm, I'm amazed. So God chooses people. And he wants us to come to believe in him, to trust in him, to lay our da lives down for him. That's what he came for. So that we might know life and life itself. He goes on, and uh, it says there in verse 37, down at the bottom, it says, they were praising God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. They were shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. There's a scripture in the Old Testament from Zechariah, chapter 9 and verse 9. It says, shout joyfully in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on the colt, the foal of a donkey. Isn't that an amazing thing? The Old Testament is fulfilled over and over and over again. There's something like 350-some references to what Christ was going to accomplish when he came. Amazing. And he goes back and he's fulfilled all of those scriptures. I don't know what the disciples understood at that time. I don't know whether they had learned from the Old Testament or whether they had just come into a relationship with Jesus. But those things are there. They build our faith. If you go back and read the Old Testament, see how it's fulfilled in the New Testament, Jesus is amazing. So while he's saying this, they're saying this, they're shouting joyfully because of all of the things that they've seen, there's a Pharisee, and not just one, but some of the Pharisees in verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, you need to rebuke your disciples. They're getting carried away with this joyful stuff. They're, they're shouting that you're a king and we're going to get in trouble with the Romans if you continue to allow them to do this. And, and they, just, they just said, no, 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 stop this. Rebuke your disciples. Jesus is the one that created the heavens and the earth. 
I don't know if it's possible yet, but have you ever heard that, that thing that the, that the walls have ears? You've heard that. Somehow I think that in the future there's going to be something that we're going to attach to the wall and we're going to dial a date and we're going to hear what happened on that date. That sound kind of far-fetched? The walls do have ears. They hear. God knows everything. And if it isn't that kind of an invention, when we meet him, he knows everything that we've ever done from the beginning to the end. I don't know what judgment day is going to be like, but I thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ that has cleansed me and washed me and made me whole, acceptable to him. What will we say when we get to heaven if the angel says, what right do you have to be in heaven? Well, actually, I have no right, but Jesus accomplished something for me that I could never do. He gave his life for me. He's forgiven me. He's accepted me. I belong to him. Hallelujah. There's no other credentials that we have except our relationship with Jesus himself. Well, he says then in response to this rebuke that he had, and this I told you already, he says, I will tell you, if these become silent, even the stones will cry out. Do the stones have ears? Do the walls have ears? I don't know, but it's amazing just to think about all of the things that Jesus has available and that he's given to us. So he goes on, and he says, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. Now here he is in this parade. People are singing songs. They're rejoicing gladly before him. They're saying, shouting that he is the king of kings, which probably wasn't too acceptable to him at that time anyway. But here he sees the city before him and he begins to weep. He begins to cry. And I would imagine the disciples would have said, what's going on here? Why is he crying now? I mean, there's so many people around him that are shouting accolades to who he is and what he's done. Uh, this is a joyous time. And here we find Jesus weeping. Jesus wept over the city. I don't know if you've had that experience, but I haven't had it very often. I know sometimes I've gone down this road out here, New Hempstead Road, going down the hill toward the city. I've had to go to court for a few people once in a while and that's caused me concern and sometimes a little bit of weeping, but Jesus looked at the whole city and began to weep over them. He knew that they weren't ready for what he had to offer them. Let me read the scripture. It says in verse 40, in 42, if you had known in this day, each of you, the things which make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. You don't really understand what's happening. He comes as a prince of peace. He comes to give peace. And yet the city of Jerusalem, the very Mecca of Jewish society, rejected him. And just in a few days, we're going to talk about his crucifixion. Was he guilty of anything that should be crucified? No. The Bible says he willingly gave himself. And when he did that, he took your sin, he took my sin upon himself and willingly went to that cross. An awful time of suffering. Is this a triumphal entry with him weeping and, and saying, 
I have peace to give you, but you won't accept it. I even think of the church sometimes, the situations in our families and the things that happen at work and the things that happen in society around us. Is there peace in this world? Let me tell you, there's not a lot of peace that I hear about. The only time that I find peace is when I come together with you, when I find other Christians, that in spite of what's going on politically, in spite of what's going on in, in all kinds of situations in our country and around the world, it's amazing what you hear on the news. There is still possible peace. There really is. It doesn't come from our country. It doesn't come from our politics. It doesn't come from anything else except for Jesus himself. The Prince of Peace has come to give us peace. And he said, how many times I would have given you peace, but you wouldn't let me give it to you. In fact, these things were hidden from your eyes. You didn't even realize what was happening. He goes on and prophesies in the next two verses. He says, for the days will come up on you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. This actually happened to Jerusalem. This is a prophecy that was fulfilled. In 70 AD, they came in and they destroyed everything. Some of the Jews escaped and went out, went up on a, on a, on a cliff up in the that they thought was a safe place for them. Well, the Romans came, and it took them some time to get there. But they destroyed everybody and everything. Nothing was left. This prophecy came about. And then he went on and explained why it was. He says, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. You didn't recognize the time of your visitation. There's a visitation that Jesus wants us to have. And that's why we have church here on Sundays and on Tuesdays and on Wednesdays and on Thursdays and Fridays. And every day of the week you can come and find peace. Not here, but in Jesus. We proclaim Jesus, that he is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And he has something to offer us. That's why we come together. And I hope it's not just Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday that you come. I hope it's because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't have that relationship, I want to encourage you. Surrender to him today. Give your life over to him. Confess before him and let him come into your life and change you because that's why he came. He came to have a relationship with us that would never end. A relationship that when we die, we just go into the presence of God. I love doing funerals of Christians. I really do. I enjoy them. I came back one day and one of the secretaries asked me, well, how did the funeral go? I said, it was wonderful. She said, what? I said, it was terrific. They're with the Lord now. They're in a, it's a better place than where we are. And she said, oh, I guess that's true. <laughs> Funerals are great when you know Jesus because that's just simply walking into the presence of God and living with him forever in a new heaven and a new earth. I tell you, I, I dream about that once in a while. Do you dream of heaven at all? You think about heaven? There's no sickness, there's no pain, there's no sorrow, there's no regrets. I mean, it's all taken care of in this wonderful place that Jesus went and prepared for us. Let's enter into that even before we get there. 
Let's receive the peace of God even now. Let's walk as people of peace so that when we meet other people, they'll say, what are you smiling about? This isn't something to smile at. No, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. If you don't know him, let me talk to you. Let me pray with you. God has given us another week before we come to Resurrection Sunday. You already know there are cards out on the tables, on the welcome desk out there. Pick up a card. Pick up two of them. Pick up five of them. Ask Jesus, who should I invite to Resurrection Sunday? Who should I invite to come next week with me? And I've understood Barna Research Center, who does all kinds of research, found out that 80% of people, if they're invited to come with you to church, will come with you. That's fantastic. 80% of people, whoever you invite, will say yes to you. I'd love to see you bring two, four, five, ten people with you next Sunday. Introduce them to Jesus Christ. Give them the opportunity to know Jesus like you know him. And I trust you know him today. This is a conclusion. The disciples obeyed Jesus. They went and found the donkey, brought it to him. <clears throat> the people were loud with their praise. They shouted him and cut branches down and honored him in every way that they knew how. The Pharisees got a little bit upset with what was going on uh, because of this. But Jesus was sad. You would think he'd be happy with everything that was going on. He was sad. He had come to bring peace, but they did not recognize their time of visitation. Let me tell you, this is the day the Bible says it, of salvation. This is the day that we're living in where Jesus has come to forgive us and to bring us into that eternal relationship with him that we might live with him now and then when we go on forever to be with him in that new heaven and new earth where Jesus is and all of his angels surrounding him. I'll tell you, it's a wonderful life, but we need to start here in confessing and acknowledge him as Lord and Savior of our life. Where are you today? What's your perspective of this day? It's a triumphal entry. Yeah, kind of. The disciples were so excited about the miracles of Jesus that they were shouting and shouting. And Jesus was sad. That he did miracles? No. He was sad that there are many other people that don't know who he is. And if you know him today, I encourage you, pray this week. Ask God who you should invite to come with you to church. And there's being a gospel message. Pastor Dan will be back and he'll be sharing the gospel next Sunday. He'll be talking about who Jesus is and give you opportunity to talk to your friend about making a life change. I can't think of anything better than that. To be used of God to transfer someone from this world into the next world in knowing Jesus is the best experience you'll ever have. I don't know of any experience that's better than that. God has been kind enough several times to use me in talking to people and bringing them into faith in Christ and seeing their life changed, seeing their life completely turned around so that they now know Jesus. With those 80% that will respond to you, do you know that generally only 6 or 7% of people in the church invite others to come with them? 80% will respond, 
but only six or seven percent of the church invite people to come with them. I don't know if you're joyful about this day or not. Jesus was sad, but he was sad about the city. You ever cry over New City? You ever cry over Rockland County? You ever cry over our country? Even the world that we live in? Jesus did. And if we want to be like him, probably we should have that same attitude as well. This almost sounds like a downer, doesn't it? (laughs) This is supposed to be a triumphal day. Well, it is if we'll take our place in Jesus and we'll reach out to others because that's what Jesus was doing. That's what he did all week long when he went into Jerusalem. He went in one day, turned over the tables. They were selling stuff. And he said, no, no, no. Make this a place, a, a, a place of prayer, not a place of merchandise. That isn't what God wants in this place. And he goes on and on. Read the scriptures about what happens day by day. You'll be amazed. And then Friday it comes. We have a service here. And we'll celebrate Good Friday. That almost sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Jesus is being put to death and we're going to shout hallelujah. But that had to happen so we could be forgiven. So it's to us Good Friday. And then the celebration on Easter, on Resurrection Day, it doesn't compare with anything. Hallelujah. Jesus is alive and he's at the right hand of the Father. He's making intercession for us and he loves us unconditionally. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to sing a song. You ready to sing? They shouted, they sang. I trust you know Jesus. If you don't, I'll be back to talk to you about that too. Let's worship him.